Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with Jim Murray, folk singer, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, BBC Folk Award winner and podcaster with some really interesting stuff going on in this conversation, including talking about creativity, criticism, songwriting and record producing. Before we get to the conversation, could I ask you please to subscribe to the podcast, rate it, share it, like it, do all of those things, because the more that you do that, the more people will hear the podcast and be able to join the community and enjoy the content that we are putting out. Thank you. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and also as at Robert Lane Music on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, here's Jim Murray. Jim, hello. hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing this. We're here That's at Winborn right. where you're playing. Yeah, in, in a very posh recording studio. Yes, this is one of the finest recording studios I've been <laughs> in. Just describe this recording studio. Well, well, it's we're in the front of my car. Yeah, which we're is working. 2008 VW <laughs> Turan. That's working. Works for me. Good. Yeah, just because the wind outside wasn't so good. Yeah. Uh, excellent. So, basically, I just want to talk about creativity in sure. general, really. And the first thing that sort of jumped out at me that I thought would be interesting to talk about your your album. I think it was your first album you recorded at home in a bedroom. Yeah, student bedroom. So yeah, it was it was my my student house at the time, but I was still studying. So I was at music college mm-hmm. in Birmingham. Is that the um, conservatoire? It was a yeah, the conservatoire. Yeah. So where did I live then? Bearwood. Okay. So yeah, so it's in a student house in Bearwood. Um Yeah. Yeah, but all made all made in my bedroom. Bits of it were done in the college studio, but not very much because mm-hmm. I couldn't really get into. Yeah, you were sharing it. If you got a studio at home, well, which is your... the, you know, the, the, but the the college studio. It was just very hard to get time in there anyway. Yeah. It, it is. So I now teach in a music college and like see the same problem from yes. the opposite. It's just, um, but maybe that's, maybe that's an interesting thing to come back to. Just sort of, if you have to book a slot, yeah. planning creativity is. That's a good point, isn't timetabling it? Timetabling it is, is quite hard. But anyway, yes. So most of my first record was recorded in that room. And but this... all my, all my records subsequently have been recorded in varying degrees of bedroom a home studio it's just these days it's more well for, for for ages it was more like i slept in the studio than i the studios <laughs> in my bedroom um these days i have a separate room in the house right. but it's still it's still in my house well and how does that affect things so talking about booking a room that you'll go to that is the studio that's where we work we have yeah. to do it between these hours compared to being a studio is also your home which yeah. in theory means you can be creative anytime you want but yeah. does that also mean you're creative at times you don't want to be no, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I think the current thing, maybe it's a, it's an age thing. Maybe it's a getting a little bit older than I used to be thing. Um, quite, quite often when I talk to other songwriters, this analogy of a sort of rusty tap comes up quite a lot. Okay, like it's very hard to get it started, uh-huh. and then once it's flowing, it's very hard to turn it off again. Right. So the pro- the the problem for me is usually that like, that first bit of like getting started these days. Mm-hmm. Like I just find it really hard to get to start. And does a schedule help with that? If you know that no, you know not really. I that. think having some self discipline would would help with that. But I I I've never had a job. Like this is this has been my job since before I even graduated. I had a paper round when I was about mm-hmm. thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, up until this teaching I've been doing, but even that is teaching folk music. It's not. You know, there are a bit, there are sort of adult bits involved with it, but that's the first time I've had a job where I've had to behave like an adult mm-hmm. or had to put on proper trousers. <laughs> um, so I, I just haven't developed that part of my personality. I'm, I'm, I'm really flaky. Like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really flaky. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, it doesn't really. It doesn't. I mean, I'm, I take quite a long time to do things, mm-hmm. and also I, I think you have to divide up which bits of the work, which bits of the creativity, and which bits of the work, because they're right. not the same for me. Mm-hmm. 
like the imagination bits, the the creative bits are quite often when you uh, aren't when I'm driving, when I'm walking, or when I'm in the bath or something in free flow. But the the bit that there's there's this Stephen King thing about right. novelists where he says the difference between a professional novelist and an amateur one is just that the professional finishes stuff. <laughs> That's the only difference. Right. Like any anyone can write a book, but it's only professionals that can finish it into a, a thing. Yeah. A product. So it's some it's some of it is that like you have to grab those moments of those creative things, and then the work is the turning it into something and making it be coherent. Yes. Um, and that's just graft, I think. So like I say, I'm, I'm flaky because I find it really hard to get started and I mm-hmm. get procrastinate all the time and I get distracted all really. And I, t- you know, and I can't, I, d- I can't meet deadlines and all that stuff. But on the other hand, I sit there every day mm-hmm. and I do do it. Work. And quite a lot of, quite a lot of the time it's really messy work and I get distracted all the time and it's doesn't come to anything. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you but have I to... sit there day after day after day for years? You have to go through the bits that aren't going to get anywhere in order to get to the good bits. Um, yes, although I, uh, in my case, that's on quite a fine detail level. I don't write songs and discard them. Mm-hmm. I chip away at them in tiny little increments for like a year, right? a couple of years on end. Okay. Um, there are some things that have been in the works for probably about a decade. Yeah. Just like ideas that I had. Yeah, I'm yeah. still, I'm, st- I'm going to use that one day and I'm yes. still chipping away. There's an idea to finish there. That's but I gonna... don't ever really throw things away because I don't finish them and then hold them up to the light and go, oh, is that worth, I see. you know, they yeah. don't ever get to that point. Okay. So it could be that you haven't quite got the gem of the idea yet. Well, you've got the germ of it, but then yeah, there's going to be some you, but you don't know amazing what, thing you don't that's going to finish it later. It. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so they, they never get to the point of being songs. Because if mm-hmm. they've done that, then they've already gone through that process. Right, you know? okay. And in terms of self-producing then, yeah. how how is that? So do you know when you've done the best take or when you've got the well, best you want? Well, that, that, therein lies the rub, I, th- I think. Um, it's, in some ways, I, I would say it's impossible to produce yourself. Mm. Um, because cause I, I've done quite a bit of production for other people as well, and my role is very different in that instance. Um you know, you're a sort of cheerleader and a little bit of sort of psychological manipulation. And you can't psychologically <laughs> manipulate yourself no. in quite the same way. <laughs> um, you know, some of my record production with other people in the nicest way possible is like subterfuge. It's it's just getting people into a place where they're doing something and they're not quite aware of what yeah. you've got them to do. Yes. And um, you're letting them perhaps think it's their idea. Yeah, I, yes, I suppose. I mean, uh, yeah, that that's a, that's another issue, I think. Um because I think when you're producing something else, someone else quite often you have to accept that all of the ideas are their ideas and you're there to add things but you're not there to mm-hmm. take ownership of those sure. things. That's not that's not my role. Uh-huh. Um, is that a quite a fine line at times? It can be a fine line. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple of things on records of other people's that I've produced that I've got credits on for mm-hmm. like writing. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that I've written more in those instances than ones where I haven't been credited. So it's the that, same process is just the person I've been working with as the artist as well. Just felt they, credit, felt yeah. they wanted to give me credit. I, I would never push for it. Um, and at the same time, you're not disappointed if it doesn't go that way. Like you know in yourself what you contributed. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just part of the way it runs. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, what I really mean by that subterfuge thing is trying to get them to momentarily forget about the thing that is putting them off. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Sure. Um, Which... Like I, I, you know, I do a lot of performing. I, 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 you know, I've making albums is quite a painful process at times for me. It's not, I'm not somebody where it just all comes together because this, this happens in teaching, I think as as well. There are some people who aren't very good teachers who are brilliant musicians, but it's because they've always known how to do it and they can't <laughs> identify with not knowing how to do yeah. it. And I think the same is there is there's the same for sort of songwriters and producers sometimes that they can just do it and they don't, they can't identify with someone who can't hear the difference or who can't just turn it on. So I've always found it really hard. Um, so I can identify with, the, 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 you know, there's something that's putting you off. There's something that makes that the, there's some reason you can't nail this mm-hmm. and you have to sort of take away that reason. And some, some of the time it's almost like, 
you know, smacking someone around the head to distract from their broken leg sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yes. that thing of, yeah, yeah. it's that, that thing of you, you just, it's misdirection almost. Yeah. So that's what I mean by subterfuge. And every artist is different, I guess, with that. Yeah. So some people's egos need work in a certain way. Other people's um, yeah. idiosyncrasies need adjusting yeah, th- a certain there are, way. There are some people who are more sort of workmanlike with practice as well, mm-hmm. which translates generally to, if you do multiple takes, are they getting better or are they getting worse? Interesting. And a lot of people, they get worse. So what you have to do <laughs> is you have to misdirect them so they're not thinking about the thing they just did. You've just got a fresh version. And it's almost like in muscle memory by that point. Mm-hmm. What I've always found with my own stuff, one of the reasons my, my stuff takes so long is that if you do lots of takes, they get worse and they get worse and they get worse. And then at a certain point, they start to get better again. And you right. have to go through that whole process of... But right from my first record, um, people used to tell me I was doing it wrong because, you know, some of the things, you, if you do 300 takes of a piano part, mm-hmm. people think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I couldn't do that if there was an engineer or a producer sitting there. That would be embarrassing. Whereas if it's just me with my right. hand on the keyboard, I can do piano parts for the day. days, <laughs> yeah, months even. Right. I mean, the the, the record I'm making now... Um, I was recording some guitar to finish it. The same part I've been playing since about February last year. And it's not been every day since, but it's been regularly since. Mm-hmm. Trying to get trying to get it right, trying to get it better. Um, Is that so, a- you know, I, I, I realise when you say that out loud, it sounds completely bonkers. <laughs> but it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Is that yeah. A, a red light fever then, even though as experienced as you are as, no, in the studio? It's, no, it's... Um, some of it is listening, a finer listening, and you realise things aren't working. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I suppose it, some of this relates as well to the sort of producer that I am. You know, I'm not a very... Like, I do all the engineering, and I can mix it, and I, I've got technical knowledge. But that's not my strength, really. Mm-hmm. If you, There are other people who are good at getting sounds or good at working the equipment or, okay. or something. What... What it com- when it comes down to really, I- and I suppose it- it's the same thing as the sort of songwriter I am, is I'm, a- I'm an arranger really. That's probably my biggest skill. Mm-hmm. So quite often when things aren't working in a mix, it's because the arrangement isn't right, because the voicing of the chord isn't right, or because this note is, the bass sh- should be playing a different inversion of the chord. Or mm-hmm. s- th- those things fix it. Right. Um, that was the thing I was going to ask actually, with all of, you know, all creatives, but certainly musicians and in, in the, the climate that we're in. Yeah. Everybody has to multi role. Yeah. So yeah. in their musical things, so people are multi instrumentalists, yeah. but they're also writing songs, but then they're also PR people and marketing people, yeah. perhaps, and all those things, and drivers. Yeah. And, you know, all of this stuff having to do. So I'm always interested because people ask me and I struggle to answer what, how would you describe yourself? Are you going to choose one of those roles or a couple of those roles? Uh, yeah. Would you just say, I'm not doing that, I'm not telling you? Or is there... I don't know. How do you I, really I mean, I, I do know people who would say that they they drive for a living and they play music <laughs> yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's free. Um, <laughs> they frequent service No, I mean, stations. I would describe myself as a producer because I, mm. also, you know, I sing for a job, but I don't feel very good at it a lot of the time. Like, occasion... There are, there are a couple of things where, you know, halfway through the second chorus, I think, oh, I'm quite good at this today. But that's not very often. Is that live or recording or even? <laughs> Certainly not recording. Now I struggle with my voice recording. Um, that's interesting. You know, I, 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 yeah, I can hold my own singing wise. Okay. But I don't think I don't. I'm not a singer really. That's not really my where my skill set lies. I, so I think probably a producer is how I describe myself. Mm-hmm. But as I say, the the majority of that is arranging skill. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I've always been able to do is listen to things and break it down and, like, manipulate the parts in my head. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, it's, it's, uh, when I was little, um, I used to have... I used to be able to hear something once and be able to remember... I used to be able to remember the lyrics to songs on one hearing okay. and stuff. So it's a bit like a photographic memory. But apparently it's, it's really common in kids. It's the, 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 the thing that isn't common is keeping that into adulthood. You lose it. So yeah. I, I can't really do it to the same extent I could when I was a teenager. Okay. But the, the time, like my misspent youth, all of my teenage years were spent listening to things and breaking down, breaking it down and figuring out how it worked. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know how things worked. So chord voicings and, you know, 
and bass lines and rhythms and accents and stuff. Um, so that's probably what, where, where I've accumulated the most knowledge, right? As a, an arrangement way, and you're, that's the thing, yeah, that's and that's the, the way you approach reduction. Yeah. So it's kind of like sometimes I've thought of producers I've worked with as almost being like directors or editors, as much they can as, be, they can as be. Much as, um, uh, but then you have different types of directors. Which, that, that thing about um, I worked with a director once in a play who, yeah let you feel like you were playing the whole time in right. rehearsal. And then you came up with these brilliant things. And you're like, right. We've come up with this amazing stuff. And then you take a step away and think, that's where she wanted it to go, I think, kind yeah. of the whole yeah. time. Yeah. But to allow you to play it, but instead of telling you what you were going to be doing, yeah. just allow you to find it. I guess the problem with stuff like that, though, is, and it's interesting from a producer's point of view, are there right and wrong answers in these things? You know, there's always several well, different ways music, of approaching Well, music is subjective, isn't it? Mm. I, I mean... There are some objective truths in music from a technical, sure. from a musical arrangement yeah. point of view. You know, that like music is physics in a lot of ways. Yes. Like yep. some frequencies reinforce each other's and yep. other. Uh, sorry, let me start the sentence again. Some frequencies uh, reinforce each other and some cancel out. That's just, that's physical fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You know, and there are some definites in terms of like dynamics of playing that are universal truths, but the rest of it is taste. So, I think pro- probably in in pop music senses, like the people who are good at it just have better taste than the people who are bad. Like, mm. and it's something where there is so many millions of people trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The ones that rise to the top are the ones with good taste. Mm-hmm. It's not anything else that they have over everybody else. Sure. And people that you've produced, then, does that yeah. tend to be in a folk genre? It's usually been in a folk, folk genre. I've done things outside it. I mean, notably, the last the last thing I produced properly was um, album by one of my favourite bands who were called Art Brute, mm-hmm. who um, were relatively big in the early 2000s. Sort of it, indie band with a shouty singer. Cool. Yeah, go and, people should go and ch- check out Art Brute. <laughs> they, they are one of my favourite bands as well, and I got to work with them. And I... Um, but that's very far away from folk music. Um, most of the things I've done have been folk things, though, just because that's the people I know. I, yeah, like, it, I don't so get asked to do things very often. Oh, okay. So. Is it friends, usually, people you've met on the circuit um, or work with? Not necessarily. I, I did quite a few albums with uh, a singer called Maz O'Connor, mm-hmm. who I just love her stuff. And we're, we are friends now, I think. But, you know, it's just... There's a, you know, half a generation gap there. So that's that's a different mm. role as well when you're working, you know, because I was in my mid-30s and she was in her early 20s at the time. Mm-hmm. So there's this, there is a sort of different dynamic to it in that thing. So it's not it's not really working as a sort of friends thing. It's me being the guiding, the, gu- the facilitator, let's mm. say. That's a good opening. Can yeah. we pick up on that thing about singing a little bit? Though? Yeah. Because that's okay. something I find, I find interesting. And one of the things I'm, I want to do with this is um people outside yeah of the arts or creativity or people who are working in it but look at people who are maybe a bit to horrible phrase but further up the ladder more experienced yeah. could look at them and just see total confidence <laughs> and assuredness yeah and i think for good reason a lot of artists don't necessarily want to be that honest about their own yeah sure drawbacks yeah. or insecurities it's, yeah, it's totally. almost as if you're giving permission to people to criticize you almost i yeah. guess it's the old social media thing people will only post all the amazing things that are happening not the well the maybe that's bits. maybe that's something you know i i started in an era without social media yeah and you know arguably my most successful things have been i mean commercially successful things not artistically my most commercially successful moments were in times when no social media existed. Mm-hmm. So dealing with like my formative times dealing with criticism were a different age now. Right. So that's completely different. Maybe that has some bearing on it. Yes. And what's, um, what's so your approach with criticism then? How is, how is that? Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't take it well, exactly. Um, but I'm pretty self critical i would Mm. say Mm. and i think and i think i'm reasonably like uh what's the word like i don't think i'm unduly self-critical but i uh, you know i'm i I know what my weaknesses are Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i'm not 
under any illusions about mm-hmm. that. And I'm not like racing away with some sort of self-pity either. Um, okay. You're, you're objective. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I find, I find music hard, but that's why I do it really. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I find some bits of it easier than other people seem to find it. Okay. But at the same time, there are lots of people I know that find things very easy and I just don't, I just don't see it that way. Yeah. So, you know, I'm probably sort of middle of the pitch of that, in that sense. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, how do, how do I approach criticism? I don't know. With with care. I with suppose. care, yeah. 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 I'm going to be a bit wa- wary of it. Yes. It's, it is difficult, though, isn't it? And I, I guess the, uh, the hardest criticisms, ones that actually do touch on the things... You, you sort of talk as if you're not insecure about things. You're just aware. Now, the, of what the hardest criticisms are the ones where they they've misunderstood it. Okay. Um, because in my case, quite often they've formed an impression of me that's not based on what I'm actually doing on the work, or yeah. is based on a long time ago. Yes. Um, again, because my most sort of commercially successful moments were when I was like 21, and I'm 38 now. So it's a long time. It's been yeah. a long time. Um, so, you know, the, the, the criticism that stings the most is where you've, you've put in lots of effort and you've moved on and nobody will acknowledge that they, that, and they mm-hmm. can't, you know, you're still pegged in people's minds as They're a completely different to, thing, yeah. you know, a different era of your life and a different person. Um, especially seeing as quite a lot of the, those sort of criticisms are ones where I know and I've known for a long time and I've worked really hard to change the aspect of what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? That sort of, um, I, I suppose in, in the arts, we call it like self-reflective practice mm-hmm. where you've, you've done that. And I know that the work I'm producing now is, is better, but you're still being judged on that thing. I, I you know, I guess it's the same for, for loads of people. Mm. who've had some sort of success at some point yes and you kind of people some if they're a fan of that thing they want you to stay there yeah. i guess don't they yeah 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 uh, you know and also success is variable it's like mm. i was thinking think about this on the way down um because i was listening to a podcast about political sketch writing mm. right so and uh so like you know satire in yeah. the paper um and somebody was saying, the thing is, on the surface, a lot of this sounds a bit like bullying. Like in this country, we have a we have a culture of satirising people in power. Mm-hmm. Um, but in another light, it's sort of bullying. Yes. And he was like, yes, but these are pe- people in positions of power, power. And it's important to hold people in power to account. Yeah. But I was thinking that, you know, in certainly in, in my line of work... You can't really justify being mean about Ed Sheeran just because he's very successful and has got lots mm-hmm. of money. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, that's still more, that's sort of more permissible than I'm still driving around the country, the country for no money. <laughs> like there, there are the, 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 specifically the folk scene has egg elements of it, mm-hmm. elements in the folk scene who think it's fair game to give you a kicking because you, they see you on stage. But on the other hand, no one's getting rich here. Like, we're all, I, I'm living on the money that I was living on as a student, sort of mm-hmm. 17 odd years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, I don't, I, I don't really know where I'm going with that, but some, some criticism I think feels like fair game to be mean on the p- part of the people. Malcolm and Wise always used to say, we will have people on and we'll take the piss out of them, but we yeah. only ever mock the strong. Yeah. So we have yeah. international superstars on the programme and we take the mickey out of them hugely yeah. because they can bear it and they can take it and they're going to yeah. look silly, but yeah. it's not going to have a de- detrimental effect on them. Yeah. Whereas if we have, you know, random Joe blogs on the programme take the mickey out of them, it's yeah. pretty unfair. Yeah, and I, I, I guess that's a... Punch a, upwards is one of the po- punch most upwards, basic exactly. rules of comedy. Um, but yeah, in, in certainly in the folk scene... That there aren't well, there are some there are some multimillionaires, mm. but you know, they're not the people Do you think who that's it from being performers really? Is that almost back to the social media thing then that people's perception of someone because they're on stage at a festival or whatever? Even if is. they're in the circuit themselves, you know. I suppose it is. I suppose, I suppose your definition of success has to be Well that's one flexible. of my questions that I want right, to ask okay. people actually is well, what is what is your definition of success? Either creatively creatively or um career-wise financially i don't know uh, these days i suppose um 
my definition of success creatively is something that doesn't date because mm. some of the things I've made, I think have dated a little bit, which is a bit shocking to me because I didn't think, I didn't think they would, but I, I suppose, mm. you know, you have to experience time passing before you realize how time passes. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like when you're, t when you're in your early twenties, you don't realize you don't, you can you can't have a handle on how time passes. So do you mean they've dated um, sonically? Yeah, sonically. Yeah, okay. sonically. Th things that rather than the content of what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, rather, rather than the content. Well, most of the content of my stuff is traditional music with some tinkering with. Mm -hmm. um, so by definition, it's all bits of it are antiquated in that way. Mm -hmm. But so so creatively, I, I think success these days is is something that sounds a bit timeless mm. and i feel a bit more confident it won't sound dated in another 10 years um stuff i can listen to after the fact because mm -hmm. that's that's been an interesting process listening mm -hmm. to old stuff some things sound surprisingly good and some things i just can't bear to listen to that i put loads of effort into at the time <laughs> um yeah i mean commercially the scopes for folk music in this country are probably the narrowest they've ever been, mm -hmm. or certainly since pre the first pre the second folk so folk revival. So the first folk revival uh, is is that sort of folk song collectors getting mm -hmm. interested in folk folk songs and writing them down and recording them. The second one sort of starts in the late fifties with this folk club movement, and it had a sort of political bent to it it was quite clearly people from the communist party thinking that getting working people interested, interested in the work, you know, into in their national culture mm -hmm. would be a good thing to create a sort of movement. Right. Um, and I think ever since that bump of that, that folk club movement in the m mass media, folk music has had a sort of, you know, low key presence, mm -hmm. but has always been there. Mm -hmm. And the thing now is that arts coverage in newspapers is gone, pretty much, or on the way there. Mm -hmm. um, social media and the internet hasn't democratised things in the way that you... Th you know, it's democratised things and that anyone can make anything, but no one could get heard over. Certainly, yeah. you know, not without... Not unless you're Ed Sheeran or somebody. Yeah. So for folk musicians, it's just it's just a constant sea of noise. Yeah. So it's so hard to rise above things. Uh and just, you know, that the amount of places that will play on the radio are, are down, even on when I started, it's so commercially, it's a, it's a hard one because the goalposts are always moving of how many you have to sell to be a success or yeah. where has to review your record for it to be a success. Yeah. And of course, that's not just happening to folk. That's entertainment in general, music in general. It's, it's entertainment in general. Yeah. I mean, the lower end of a sort of popular music scale I think has always been like that because it's a big pond mm -hmm. you know so the chances of rising to the top are very small I think folk music has maybe had it quite good because it's a small pond you know so and certainly early 2000s there was a folk column in like the Independent and the Guardian yeah. and stuff it's you know so it sounds crazy now that they used to review like three or four CDs a week mm -hmm. so being the one that gets five stars that week wasn't that hard because that was yeah that was know, the turnaround. There's fifty two weeks of that a year. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's it's a hard one. I mean, I have a certain like base level of there are people who will buy the records if I announce them. Mm -hmm. Reaching people, you know, at, at this point I'm basically preaching to the converted though, like. I'm very lucky to have people who are really into what I do and will buy everything and will support me and will keep turning up to gigs after, after you know, nearly 20 years. But new people very rarely new come. New people, huh? So are they so. people who've come to you way, you know, right from the beginning with the folk awards it feels like and that it. sort of stuff? It feels like it, yeah. Um, yeah, folk, folk awards in a time when it was a bit more prevalent in the media. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm... I'm like I'm really lucky to have been in that position, yeah. but on the other hand, it is the right place, the right time, or the wrong place, the wrong time. In <laughs> that, in that, you know, five years later, sort of streaming and stuff 
and started to ebb away at CD sales and then but folk doesn't have an audience that does that so yes that's interesting so sort of I've I've kind of struggled straddled the folk scene a little bit really um, yeah. and at one point when I was first getting kind of serious there was that thought like you don't really have to make CDs anymore do you no because, well I but yeah you do I, <laughs> I the people think, who support your music yeah, want well, CDs folk lags behind in that way I think people still buy CDs but on the other hand the sales are down yeah uh, so the next couple of years will be really interesting. I've, mm. I, I, I mean, and I do genuinely mean I'm, I'm quite excited to mm-hmm. see what happens because I think it's going to reach a crunch point. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's obviously an older audience, middle-aged audience reaching later middle age now. Um, so it's not a Spotify audience, mm. but at the same time. They're not buying as many CDs as they used to. Um, There's a lot of. I feel as if you know you, you can get you can get downhearted about a lot of these things, but there are those times when you're playing at a gig or a festival or whatever, and you think it's the preachers to the converted who say these yeah. people have turned out and they're supporting it and they yeah. bought their ticket and well, they're buying CDs and you know God love them really because not everybody is doing that. Like I say, I, I've so I've done production for artists younger than me Mm. um and i've also been doing a bit of teaching um and one of the things is trying to persuade people to not hate the people they're playing to (laughs) like there is a grass is greener (laughs) element of you always think there's a cooler audience around the corner and you want to put these people off because they're obviously putting off the audience you feel (laughs) you should have yeah do you know what i mean I yeah, need to yeah. I need to get rid of all these old people. So yeah, the who's it's that thing that's, just a, uh, that's a really bad fallacy. Yeah, just yeah. you know, don't be rude to your audience. Yes. It's one of the you need them. one of the things. Um, <laughs> and don't be angry at the ones who are in the room, or don't take yeah. it out on the ones who are in the room for the ones who aren't. Exactly, is the thing, which exactly. is quite easy to do. I think. But yes, it is. It is easy. You to know, do. It's the, the laugh, the it empty chairs aren't laughing that much. But I mean, the thing is, as well is, I'm not a very sociable person. Generally, I, I, you know, I, I've always been a bit of a sort of loner, and this is my way of. I found a way to enjoy people's company mm. through the social side of the folk scene. You know, mm. I grew up with traditional folk music and that sort of stuff, but it's only through being a performer that I found a way of. You know, this is my social interaction. Yes, talking to people at folk clubs. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I don't resent that audience at all. No. I, I, like I enjoy it, and I, I f- do feel really. Uh, lucky that they want to come and see me. And they've got taste. And don't take this, it for granted. This was the thing yeah. I sort of had a realisation of. First of all, people in my generation, they're doing other stuff at the moment. They're having the families and they've not got much spare money and yeah, all that sort well, that's, of stuff. That, I, that's Evenings out are hard at that age group. You know, That's it, another topic, but I think, yeah, folk music. So uh, as I say, I grew up on sort of folk clubs and the folk festival scene. And for as long as I've known, since I was a kid, Folk festivals have been tearing their hair out, wondering why young people don't come. And they always target it at teenagers. And from this vantage point, I sort of feel like you've been doing it wrong the whole time. Teenagers Mm. are never going to come. The people you need to be targeting are, they used to go out to gigs, but then they had kids and they couldn't go anymore. And now they need something a bit more civilised to do. But also, um, so my best friend uh, said... He knew he would like jazz, but he avoided listening to any jazz because he was saving it for later in life. <laughs> because he knew he's the sort of person where when he gets into something, he has to know everything about it. So All when right. he was into pop music, it was like he had to buy smash hits every week and like obsess about things and yeah. know, ev- know everything about them. And then sure enough, on, when he turned 40, he decided <laughs> to get into blue note jazz and started collecting them all and had a new <laughs> lease of life. It's a bit like that with folk. I think lots of people of my age... Uh, I've discovered sort of jazz or more experimental avant-garde music and so on. And folk is a perfect thing to target. Those people should be who you're targeting. Yeah. You know, people in their late 30s, early 40s have got a bit of disposable income mm-hmm. and want to get into something, mm-hmm. but have sort of lost touch. They're not going to go out, um, you know, raving. <laughs> would would be into the underground element of it as well. Yeah. And the idea, yeah. you know... It- and that, that also links into the folk scene in general had a... And, you know, and, and believe me, I know about my role in this in a bad way. Um, went through a period of thinking that it could break through into the mainstream. 
so so when I was 21, um, I was working with people, industry people, who thought well, one our folk artist is going to break through and be like a massive star. Mm. So we're going to put our bets on this guy. If we just make him do something that sounds like it, that can get played on, you know, Radio 1 in the daytime. That terrible what, word, this crossover. Or, you know, so, uh, and it was the wrong approach. Mm. Instead of trying to make the best of the thing that you actually have, turning it into something else. And, you know, and I, I've been through that process and no good ever comes of it. Um, so going right back to that, you know, um, creative success, yeah. I think something that is true to itself and speaks for itself and doesn't, I've always wanted to make folk music that doesn't need any previous, any prior knowledge. You should be able to take mm. it at face value. And for a while, I, tr- I, I thought that meant pandering to people and all knocking rough edges off or you know trying to make it so it's friendly to people that were familiar with guitar-based indie music or something yeah but now i feel like it should just stand on its own and not need so in a folk sense quite often things you're supposed to know lots of different versions of the song and it's good because you can compare it in your head to the 15 other different versions (laughs) of john barleycorn you know and I don't want to make that music. I want to make something that speaks for itself and is its own thing and doesn't make apologies for itself. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what I think is creatively fulfilling mm-hmm. these days is to try and do something that is sort of unadulterated. You know and, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. true. And yeah. that, as you say, that could yeah. be different to a commercial success. Yeah. But then, so what? I yeah, guess. I mean, f- folk is a genre that makes excuses for itself a lot. and And I don't want to be that guy you know i want to i want to make music where you can just play it and go this is good and you know yeah and i hope you agree yeah it's objective there's that thing isn't there you can you can objectively look and say something i can see the quality in that but i don't like it (laughs) but you know which is is fine you know it's it's different um this thing with singing though just got yes sure interesting yeah um what is that then so it's sort of is it a technical thing with singing is it uh just a what 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 do you mean? So you, so you'd said that when you're recording, particularly when you're recording, do you mean you my problems feel, with my voice? Yes, you ever feel right. like you're a, uh, a... yeah? Te- technically, I'm technically I'm not as talented, I suppose. That that sounds like an unnecessarily harsh way to put it, but um, you know the, the apparatus, my the, the physical ap- apparatus isn't quite as I'd want it. Um, my yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a, t- it's a technical thing. I just find it hard. Mm. I just find it really hard. My pitching is, isn't is great a lot of the time, and I wish it was better. Um, I struggle... I struggle with dynamics. I've When I was a... When I, was a t- I used to be in indie band sort of things um, before, I, before I did folk a bit more seriously, and I always had quite a foghorny voice. And then my first couple of folk records, the first couple of Jim Murray records... Almost like apologising, like trying to sing quietly, but I didn't have the skill to do it. Right. And then lately, I've gone back to the foghorning thing. I think I have quite a strident voice these days, and I wish I had some sort of soft tone to fall back on. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't, I, yeah, I just find it hard. <laughs> I just find it hard, and harder than other musical things. Is that the the point? So. Is- as an, uh, as an instrumentalist, no, because I no, I find instrumental things hard as well. So okay, that's this is one of the things that I find really interesting. So anyone looking in on your yeah. Wikipedia page or whatever, yes. multi instrumentalist producer, yeah. self produced, yeah, folk awards from yeah. a home produced album. He sings, he's in all that sort of stuff. He works with other people, so it would be you'd, you'd think, well, he's going to be pretty secure in his his abilities on instruments and singing and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, like. Give me half an hour and I can come up with something general on instruments. But like, I mean, a good example is Sam Carter, who's in False Lights yeah. with me. The yeah. other, the other frontman of False Lights is a guitar player. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I am not a guitar player in the same way. Sam is like has devoted all of his time to mastering the guitar, <laughs> and, and I haven't done that. Um, some there, there are some folk music friends have this in like older than me have this in joke of like whenever something good happens they're like aren't you glad you practiced and that's the thing 
I didn't really practice when I was a kid. Like I practiced, yeah. as I say, I, I wanted to know how things worked. I wasn't sitting practicing scales or practicing exercises or yeah. on the guitar. I was trying to figure out how they did. I was something. trying to figure out how to play that chord that Stevie Wonder played. Yeah. Rather than trying to play the keyboards like right. Stevie Wonder. I think there's a, there's a slight difference. Yeah. You know? I um, had that with guitar. So I was, I wanted to, I'd come to learn a yeah. solo or whatever somebody improvised 40 years earlier yeah and then you sort of get to the point where you're like well actually do i want to learn that solo or do i want to learn the mindset yeah that he was in when he improvised that actually yeah. that's more interesting to yeah. me how did he think of those notes or what you know also as time's gone by i've realized that some of my favorite musicians are incredibly like clumsy ham-fisted musicians who make amazing sounds so i mean what <laughs> Actually, this is a horrible thing to say. Do it. But one of the people that comes to mind is um, a guy called David Rhodes, who I've worked with very, very briefly because he's around Bath and Bristol. I mean, he's uh, he's Peter Ga- he's been Peter Gabriel's guitar player since okay. the early eighties, and he is not a technical guitar player, but everything he plays is like exquisitely. It's right. Yeah, and he makes lots of. There's lots of things where instead of playing a if if, if making a making a noise. Is a bet comes to a better effect. He'll make a funny noise. Yeah, yeah. Um, he and he he played with Kate Bush when she did those live shows. Perfect fit for that because, like I say, he would rather make a funny noise than play something that doesn't work. That's a bit more conventional. And that's serving. But the people song, like that, people like that. There's quite a few drummers as well whose technique is looks really painful and awkward, but they make like amazing. They they use it to amazing effect. Mm-hmm. So. You know, not that I would necessarily put myself in that bracket, but I'm far more in that mould than I am in a mould of being able to play proficiently, play anything proficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, I say it's interesting in my experience with musicians, there are people who are, who are technically wonderful. Mm. But then I know that they have moments where they, they don't feel so inventive. And it's almost as if technique yeah, well, is a is a barrier. Sometimes. I can also see it the other way. There, there are some people who I I can appreciate are amazing, uh, amazing players of their instruments, but I just don't find it very musical. Moving, yeah. yeah. That's the thing for me. Is is, is particularly with guitar players. I had a friend who was very into the very technical <laughs> tapping, yeah. very fast, and I just like I can I can hear that it's technically yeah. difficult. But it doesn't move me as much as BB King yeah. playing two oh, notes yeah. with the brighter on. And there's just, Hell and yeah. it does it in every song. Yeah, but it always sounds fucking great. And it's that is more important <laughs> to me. I yeah, guess. it is. It is. I mean, I suppose there is a professional pride thing of like sure. I do this for a living, and I take people's money to do it. Yeah. So I have to be able to do it. You know, I have to yeah. be able to pull it out to the bag of, to a certain extent. Yeah. But like, uh quite often i'm playing like at the edge of my ability just to keep it together but then that's where great stuff happens as well isn't it and like again people who've, who've created yeah new music and really interesting music have been playing at the edge of their ability they're so trying to copy what somebody else a, did and they can't quite yeah. do it when i was a teenager my main my main instrument was the drums like right. i started as a drummer and someone one of my mum's friends paid me the most amazing backhanded compliment if they were like when you play, it's like really exciting because you're never quite sure if you can pull it off. And and and, <laughs> it, and that that was sort of it. I was always playing like right at the edge of yep. not being able to do it. You could, it could all fall <laughs> at any moment. Yeah, exactly. But then we were all in it together. Never, I, you know, I've never really played things where I was completely, completely in my comfort zone. Yeah, but then that can be very boring, can't it? Seeing someone who's completely proficient and they're just doing it, it can be a bit dull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm you know, that's not an option for me because <laughs> I am not amazingly proficient on it. So how does that work as a producer then if you're working with other people? Um, so you might be working with musicians who are better in inverted yeah. commas at a particular yeah. instrument or, yeah. or a particular thing or people who are who are technically struggling with something that they're trying to do. Yeah. Does that make it easier for you to um, help them that you you feel that way about your own abilities? Hmm. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um I suppose you have to relate to people differently. Yeah. Like it is helpful them. with um with producing things, it is helpful if people are good at <laughs> what they're doing. Saves time. Because I can yeah. But I I don't know whether it's uh, actually that's a really interesting question. I don't know if it's easier to get somebody who's got a great feel to play more accurately or somebody who's very proficient to play with more feel. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think probably the latter is easier mm-hmm. because getting somebody to play play better is not is sometimes not possible, and then you have to edit it together and stuff. Yeah, but on the other hand, I've got no qualms about editing it together. No, it makes the right right thing. That's no, the point having that, people yeah. that can play proficiently and then trying to trick them into playing it with a bit more expression is probably easier. Yeah. So I would rather be in that boat, actually, but that's, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not where I'm at. You say you're quite happy to edit things yeah. and use the technology. Is that, um, what would be the word, is that is that frowned upon at all in terms of folk or I don't think not? so. I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe it was at one point, but I think that just boat has sailed. That's you know, that's, yeah, that's just how it is these days. I mean, some of it, there's a suspension of disbelief. You know, the audience don't want to believe it's pieced together. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's that frowned on. Um, but at the same time, you are trying to, so, you know, it's a bit like a magic trick or something. You yeah. don't want them to know how it works. You want them to just see the amazing, effortless yeah. magic happen. It's sleight of hand, isn't it? Yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. You have to know how that trick works. You can't trick... You can't trick yourself into, you know, you can't um, kid yourself that it is genuine magic. You have to know how the track trick works and be paddling really hard. Mm-hmm. I'm mixing the metaphors. No, that's right. Really, paddling really hard into the, the, the water to make it like gr- slide gracefully. Absolutely. Uh, glide gracefully along. Yeah. And in terms of playing live then. Yes. Do you have a uh, a preference where you feel more at home? Is it to perform live? Is it to record? Is it to record? A video? Oh, uh, yeah, not live. Um, not live. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 all right with live these days. I used to hate it. I used to really hate it. Um, In the sense of like stage fright or just not enjoying it. Just not enjoying it. Not really stage fright. It never went how I wanted it to go. Mm. So I always found it really underwhelming. And then after a while, that really got to me. Because if it's a sort of disappointment every time. Yes. You're, like it, it just disappointment didn't sound in your, how I wanted it to sound. In yourself. I was going to ask yeah. all the audience reaction or... Well, that as well. Because <laughs> audiences, you know, like animals, they can pick up on... They can they can smell your fear. Yes. They, 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 they pick up on your disappointment. Um so I struggle with that for quite a, quite a while. I think I'm all right with it now. I think, but gen- generally, but I think the more you do it as well, the more if you have a bad gig, there's a, another one in two days' time, you know, and that will be better. Mm-hmm. So a bad gig now is just just goes on the pile of thousands of them. <laughs> so it's less of a, I, I, you know, I don't take it as personally. Um, <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's just you you accept that it's part of the it's part of the gig. Yeah, and and also I think it's it's something to do with the sort of music I play as well, and that thing I was saying about not apologising for itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm pretty firmly in that traditional music thing, and I do different things with traditional music to some people. At the same time, the folk scene has shifted around me. And I still represent a far more pure, I now represent a far more pure traditional music and specifically English traditional music as well. Um, so it's already pretty, pretty like I'm not going with the flow here. I'm doing the thing that I do. Yes. So then that thing of not apologizing for yourself, if it's a bad gig, I'm still doing what I do because yeah. I don't, well, A, that's what I was booked to do. Yeah, I'm not gonna. If it's going down badly, I'm not gonna pull something out the bag that's a bit more. Yes. you know, a sing-songwriter song. Oh, I'll give you the good uh, bit. Then. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've well, been saving you know it. Mean? Up I'm, not, I'm not gonna play a different style of thing to try and save the gig at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do a yeah. nine-minute child ballad because <laughs> that's what that's I do. That's your thing. That's what you do. Um, and I want to make it enjoyable for people. But mm. if they're not enjoying it on that. Uh, if they, f- you know, if it's fundamentally not for them, that's fine. There's, it's not for them. Yeah, and there's not a lot you can do. Then. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I've when I was younger, I maybe felt like I should give the audience what they want, but People at this please. point, it's now like, well, I'm, I've been doing this for quite a while, and maybe it's not for you, and that's fine if it's not for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I know what you mean. Um, and then finally, then yeah. Um, do those do those bad gigs still happen? Yeah. That, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
yeah all, all the time sometimes it just doesn't gel playing solo puts you a bit in a bit in control of it a bit more right like with the teaching one of the things I've, i try and impress on the students is that because and also because i was really bad for this when i was their age i was really bad for bailing on a gig halfway through because it's not going well and you think well i've just got to play for, i've got another 20 minutes i've got to play i'll just get it over over with and i'll try oh, and okay. think about it like when you're playing completely on your own there is always time to turn it around until the last note you know okay. if it's not going well you can still try and turn it around um and put put everything into it and sing the you know sing the shit out of the song i don't know if you i can swear on your podcast yeah yeah it's fine. um Feel free I, to bleep. I think I threw a fucking earlier. Right, okay. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, well, some somebody I know once said he just wanted to hear people singing the shit out of traditional music. And mm. that's, that's been a bit of a motto for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's too. what I'm going to do, yeah. You know, all the people I grew up... The reason I got into doing this was listening to Nick Jones, you know, singing the song, singing the damn song. Oh, Dick Gocken <laughs> really like doing the best he could do. Mm-hmm. Like I will sing the best version of this song that I can possibly do in this moment. Or, I mean, particularly for me, June Tabor, just, you know, just pe- people who are giving everything they've got to the, in service of this song and not, apo- not apologizing for it, not trying to, there's a school of thought in folk singing, which has become a bit more prevalent in the last couple of years again of like, somehow putting emotion into it is insulting to people who've sung the song before. So you should be completely detached, which is about the furthest from what I think traditional singing should be about. Like not over egging it, but, but you shouldn't be holding back. Like I want to, to put everything into this song. Yeah. And then do, then start another song and do the same for that one. Yeah. So there is always time to do that. Even if the gig is going badly. And also I, I suppose I can derive satisfaction from playing, from doing a good last song to an indifferent audience, even if the previous sort of 18 songs of the set have been, have gone down like a lead balloon. Mm-hmm. If I can feel like I've pulled it off, I feel a lot better. Mm. Yeah. Great. Okay. Cool. Jim, thanks so much. That was Thank really you. interesting. Thank you. I hope that was okay. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Enjoy your concert this evening. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye.